and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not the radio station. Welcome to Indigo Radio. I'm Nick. We're here with Becca, and Vicky's uh, our guest in the radio s in the studio today. We'll be joined later by Katie, a teacher from Rhode Island, and also um, a few members from the Teachers Activist Group from the Boston Teachers Union. So last week we were joined in the studio by Ziad Abbas and we talked about both his speaking <coughs> tour, um, connecting struggles in the United States to those of Palestinians and also looking at uh, the current conditions in Palestine with the Israeli military occupation mm -hmm. and what people here can do to work in solidarity with those in Palestine and the refugees, 8 million refugees around the world who are struggling to return back to their land. And I think that definitely connects to our show today as we, uh, our, our government gives $4.1 billion to the Israeli military uh, every year. And so today we're going to be talking about educational struggles, struggles outside the classroom, struggles inside the classroom, and how teachers are affected, how students are affected, and how teachers are now organizing to change those conditions. So uh, a lot of what we'll be talking about is budget cuts and um, how budget cuts are affecting education in our nation. So um, just to start out <coughs> with Vermont, um, we know that Governor Phil Scott uh, tried to take away teachers' collective bargaining rights, specifically around health care. He wanted the state to decide teachers' health care. Um, and so that means the strength of teachers' unions would be dismantled slowly um, by taking away that crucial piece of the work that unions are already doing to ensure that teachers have not just adequate health care, but health care that will uh, be affordable. And um, Vicki, I know you do a lot with early childhood and talking about what early childcare providers and I'm wondering what they have, like what, what's happening right now in the state to support, support early childhood providers, but also how that connects to the teacher struggles. Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, going back to Governor Scott's proposal last year to um, take away collective bargaining rights at the local level. Um, his proposal in January of last year, his, his budget proposal also recommended that we fund early childhood um, by taking that money away from K through the K through 12 system, which really served to pit pick community members against each other. Mm -hmm. So the K through 12 teachers and the early childhood educators were all of a sudden pit against each other. Mm -hmm. Because yes, of course we wanna fund early childhood, which is significantly underfunded and has been for a very long time. Mm -hmm. um, early educators make on average about $26,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And so in one sense, the early childhood community was excited about this proposal because for once, the Vermont legislator was talking about funding early childhood programs, but at the same time, we're taking away from K through 12. And these are all our children. These are all our kids. They're moving from early childhood into K through 12. We don't want to take money away from anybody. Mm. 
it was really a very divisive proposal. Mm. Yeah, and I think um, in the same way that the child care providers were pitted against uh, K through 12 teachers, that's exactly what happened with the health care. Is community said, why should we support teachers' health care when we don't have health care? Mm. And so I think it's been a struggle of the union and needs to be more so in the forefront of our struggle that we want universal health care for all, that the things that the union are fighting for in terms of uh, teachers' rights should be that of the entire community, and we should see all of those struggles connected. Exactly. So let's go to a song break now. This is going to be Pete Seeger, What Did You Learn in School Today? Okay, so since our song's not working, we're waiting for just one minute. Um, we wanted to talk to you also about uh, a May Day celebration that's going to be taking place. Please come and join Brattleboro Solidarity on Tuesday, May 1st, May 1st from 6 to 8 p.m. at Brooks Memorial Library on Main Street in Brattleboro. Community members will dramatically read as a historical figure from Howard Zinn's Voice of a People's History. After the reading, community members will be invited to share their stories of labor and labor, labor struggles, and soup and bread will be served. Great. All right. So I think let's try this song one more time. It's Pete Seeger, What Did You Learn in School Today? <laughs> What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? I learned that Washington never told a lie. I learned that soldiers seldom die. I learned that everybody's free. That's what the teacher said to me, and that's what I learned in school today. That's what I learned in school. What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? I learned that policemen are my friends. I learned that justice never ends. I learned that murderers die for the crimes, even if we make a mistake sometime. And that's what I learned in school today. That's what I learned in school. What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? I learned our government must be strong. It's always right and never wrong. Our leaders are the finest men, and we elect them again and again. And that's what I learned in school today. That's what I learned in school. What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? I learned that war is not so bad. I learned about the great ones we have had. We fought in Germany and in France, and someday I might get my chance. And that's what I learned in school today. That's what I learned in school. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. We're on every Sunday at noon. That song was Pete Seeger. What did you learn in school today? I'm Nick. Becca's in the station today, and we have Vicki with us today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. So I just wanted to comment on one of the lines in that um, 
song that I think connects a lot to our show today. It's, I learned our country must be strong. It's always right and never wrong. Our leaders are the finest men, and we elect them again and again. Mm. And I feel like that's so important in talking about teacher struggles because I know a lot of teachers are feeling, um, feel afraid to stand up. Mm. Think that, well, this is how it is, and this is how it's going to be. And so it's finding that strength because as teachers, we were also taught in school. The same things, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's not just that people are afraid, right? There's laws that exist that really punish teachers for going out into the streets or collectively bargaining or standing up against legislatures that are literally ripping the money from our hands, right? Yeah. And saying, no, that's, it's not important for us to spend money on kids or to spend money on your salary. It's important to spend money on other things. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Um, so first we're going to go into an interview yesterday. Actually, we were at the Brattle, I'm sorry, the Boston education for social justice conference in Boston. Um, and we talked to a bunch of teachers, uh, about public education, the state of public education today. And so we interviewed, um, a teacher, her name is Katie. She teaches in Newport and we're going to play for you the interview now. So bear with us. We're trying to play from our phones, so we <laughs> might have technical difficulty. <laughs> Okay, so we're here with Katie. Katie, where do you teach? Um, I teach in Newport Public Schools in Rhode Island. And you do what grade or? So my certification is five through 12 social studies. Right now I'm currently working with kindergartners in Newport in an after school childcare program. Okay, great. So our question, our first question for you today is uh, what, is it like to be a public school teacher in this historical moment with all of these things happening in the world? Um, right now, my experience in working in education is that it's difficult to find a job. Right now in our district, um, the proposal is to unify the three towns on our island into one district. Um, so a few years ago, our district, which is just the city of Newport, consolidated all Newport, school, all Newport elementary schools. There were originally nine into one large school. We have almost a thousand students just kindergarten through fourth grade. And what that did was there was a lot. Nurses, custodians, school aides. Um, and the excuse that's being given for it is that it's what's best for students because now we don't have the poor schools and the rich schools in town. We have one school where all children are together. So our schools are no longer segregated, but our city itself is still segregated. Um, and so now the whole idea is that we want to unify the whole island into one district, which is again going to create a lot of job loss. And the excuse is that it's what's best for students, we can consolidate resources. But if our education system is supposed to be preparing for students, preparing students for life after school, and we're continuing to cut jobs and opportunities for people after school, um, it seems like the argument is very short-sighted. Okay. Okay, Katie, and so our second question for you is how are budget cuts and standardized testing affecting student teaching and, or I'm sorry, your teaching and student learning? So I was hired by the District of Newport to facilitate um, access testing for ELL students for the whole district. And what this was was 
four hours of testing per ELL child, and in our district we have about, I'm gonna say roughly 350 ELL students, elementary through high. Um, so four hours of testing per child, and they had to be done in small groups. So I would have a group of like four students at a time taking four hours of testing. Some of those students had just arrived into the country from uh, Puerto Rico after the hurricanes. So they had to go through an additional four hours of screening testing to see what their ELL level was, and then an additional four hours of access testing to see how much they've retained. But some of them have only been in the country for a week, so I'm not sure what learning they were supposed to have attained in that week. Um, so all this is being taken out of their individual class time. This is also right during um, midterm exams. So I was having to pull students from history classes, English, science, their electives, right before um, their midterm exams. Students were saying, I, don't, I can't get pulled right now. We're reviewing all of our units for our exam, but the district had to have this testing done by the late February. So it equaled just in the high school alone to almost 200 hours of testing, 200 hours of teachers losing instructional time to individual students, um, and 200 hours roughly of students losing classroom time with their peers and with their teachers. Um, so that was January and February, and now it is April, and we're starting a whole nother round of testing for all students in the district. Um, is continuing to take away opportunities for teachers and students to collaborate and learn about things that students have active interest in um, and helps them to interact with the world around them and forces them to spend the few hours of classroom time with their teachers that they have drilling and memorizing and learning to regurgitate information. Experiences in the classroom, they're able to provide teachers um, with feedback. You know, whether or not teachers listen to it and it informs their teaching um, is another story. But students, you know, I've had students give me feedback. You know, I loved that lesson, or I didn't understand this question. You know, they can give useful feedback and they can impact the way that I teach. But they feedback or their reactions to standardized testing doesn't go much further. Um, as a teacher, I don't have control over how these tests are made um, or given. Um, so it kind of disempowers them from being engaged through this whole process. So I wanted to ask Katie, what do you think the purpose of standardized testing is and how does that affect the way teachers teach in the classroom, the way students learn in the classroom, maybe talk a little bit about their relationship. Um, I think one of the larger issues with standardized testing for me is um, who gets to determine what knowledge is valuable. Um, so students are having to be spoon-fed specific ideologies and then they need to regurgitate it on these tests and what it is that they're meant to supposedly learn through this process is not usually information or skills that are applicable to them in engaging with the world in which they live. Um, these tests are from private for-profit organizations who also sell um, educational materials for schools at a profit. It seems more profit-driven 
with the focus of these tests being to benefit the people at the top, rather than measuring any sort of actual um, needs-based learning for our students. Mm. And I also learned recently that in Springfield, Mass, and I'm sure other places in the country, that they're actually using the scores from standardized tests to determine who will end up in prison. And so they're building prisons using the information from standardized testing. So that's kind of crazy, right? Yeah, I mean, I wish that surprised me. Um, I hadn't heard that before, but I'm not shocked. Mm. Um, at a district where I did my student teaching in New Hampshire, students articulated that they felt that if they didn't succeed in school, their options were to join the military or to go to prison. Mm -hmm. And in, at that time, in that same town, a prison was being built. Mm. Um, and this pressure put on these working class, rural New Hampshire students that if you don't fall in line, if you don't succeed academically and also behaviorally, you had very limited options. And one of those options is being built right on our side of the river right now. Mm. Well, thanks, Katie. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on WVEW LP Brattleboro 107.7, your community radio station. You are with hosts Becca and Nick, <laughs> and we have Vicky in the studio, and Ajane's here. <laughs> um, hopefully, we'll get you on the radio soon, Ajane. <laughs> you know, Ajane said something really interesting to me earlier about standardized tests and just that it's, um, for students, it feels like you should just memorize all these facts to take the test and then you forget them again. And I mm. think that's so crucial in our conversation about standardized tests, that mm. it's not real, true, deep learning. Mm. <coughs> um, and so we're gonna go to a quick song break mm -hmm. by Rebel Diaz, it's called Chicago Teacher. Yeah. Feel this from the bottom of my heart, y'all. Truly inspired. Here we go. Come on. Look. Y'all. Y'all. Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher. Chicago teacher. Chicago teacher. I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher. So I'm inspired by the fight from my Chicago teachers. Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher. Chicago teacher. Chicago teacher. I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher. So I'm inspired by the fight from my Chicago teachers. The teachers are tired. The students dumbfounded. The budgets get cut so classes are overcrowded. Streets full of violence, the blue coat is silence So I'ma keep rhyming till salaries start rising The unions are rising, taken to the streets The workers are united, so the mayors got beef Rhymes a fake pretender with a corporate agenda Neoliberal offender, of course you offend us This ain't about money, that's far from the truth They want better work conditions to teach the youth Politicians, I don't trust them, it's all in the name The president, the mayor, all want political gain they rather put the kids in jail, shackle them with chains and provide an education that challenges the brain. Top-down education, Chicago the birthplace. Now it's spreading nationwide all over the place. They don't teach us how to think, they teach us how to test. They teach us how to work to put money in their checks. The CEOs need to get up out the classroom before these streets get hotter than the sand in Cancun. So join the picket line like Mr. Pickett in his prime. Put on your red shirt like the bulls in 
95 Hit the streets with a sign They say I'm fighting for mine It's a fork in the road And you gotta choose a side And yes, I'm proud to say I was a public school student It was public school teachers That first taught me music And yes, I'm proud to say I was a public school student A public school teacher First taught me music Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher So I'm inspired by the fight from my Chicago teachers Went to Lil' Lincoln School in a little school bus Desegregation, paid 20 cents for lunch Reduced price ticket for the lower income children Art and music classes in between math and English Now it's different, they just teaching to the test Forced by the feds, or they losing that check Too many children left behind by this corporate assembly line How they privatize, education is a human right And they kids gonna be fine, they sent them to private schools While ours get sent to prison or given a job serving fast food Cash rules, so it gets treated like a business Bought and sold by businessmen turned politicians So if Rahm was the chief of staff And Arnie Duncan got his start in Chicago selling off the education system Then Obama gotta respond The teachers or the corporations Which side is he on? The streets is getting hot They blame the heat on Chief Keith, But it's a million others like him Being created every week If we don't teach, we don't learn And the streets is gonna burn Before it gets worse I put on my red shirt Cause homie I was taught by a Chicago teacher Chicago teacher Chicago teacher I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher So I'm inspired by the fight for my Chicago teachers Homie I was taught by a Chicago teacher Chicago teacher Chicago teacher I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher So I'm inspired by the fight for my Chicago teachers Yeah, Bateman Elementary where Illinois went Lincoln School, Lane Tech, Lincoln Park High School DJ Illinois went to Roosevelt And now he producing beats worldwide Let's go Welcome back to Indigo Radio. On the air every Sunday at noon, we are on WVEW 107.7, Brattleboro Community Radio. So that was Rebel Diaz, Chicago teacher. And before that, we heard from Katie, who is a teacher in um, Rhode Island, and was talking about what's happening there in the schools around so much testing, Mm. testing, testing, especially for... English language learners, I don't think that the testing would make me excited to learn a new language Mm, for sure. mm. Um, And so, Nick, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about what you see as the purpose of standardized testing. So just in listening to Rebel Diaz's song, it's really interesting. He talks about how we're teaching to the test um, and how when he was in school, he had art and music in between English and science, right? And so he says that CEOs, so we have to understand, right, that these are profit-driven businesses that are pushing tests onto schools, and schools are buying these tests. And that puts money in their vest, as Rebel Diaz said, right? And so people are making money off of testing our children. Now, that's affecting teachers and students in different ways, right? So we have teacher performance reviews tied to student test scores. Mm -hmm. That's the first way in which teachers are actually penalized if kids aren't taught exactly how to take a test. Mm -hmm. So that's not teaching kids creativity. That's not teaching kids how to live in the world, how to treat each other, how to act. 
that's teaching kids how to answer questions the way they need to be answered. Mm -hmm. For me, that's teaching obedience. Mm -hmm. So, um, and he also says that we send, that those CEOs send kids to private schools while our kids get sent to prison or they're selling fast food. Mm. So I thought that was interesting and I made a little comment in Katie's interview. Um, I heard on a panel last week at Amherst, someone from Springfield talking about how third grade test scores in Springfield, Massachusetts are used by uh, correction uh, and prison businesses to decide how, what, what the number is of prison beds that they'll need. Mm-hmm. So they decide on how big a prison should be based on third grade test scores. So I looked up a number of things and I found the 2012 Nevada Department of Corrections newsletter. And it reads, quote, so many non-readers wind up in jail that officials have found they can use the rate of illiteracy to help calculate future prison needs. Now, for me, that's really just problematic, right? What's the point of us testing kids? Is it so that businesses can categorize our kids from the time that they're seven years old? Mm -hmm. Is that really what the world wants for our children? Is that what we want for our children? And so what's interesting is that students affected by zero tolerance policies are often kids who end up, uh, who, uh, and who do bad, who do like, who don't perform well on standardized testing. Those are the kids that are more likely to drop out. Those are the kids that are more likely to end up in the juvenile system. And a lot of those kids are are kids of color and those with disabilities. Mm -hmm. So what kind of world are we creating for our children by allowing testing to happen in our schools? Yeah. And all that you're describing, like this trend towards standardizing and data driven and collecting numbers Mm. and labeling is taken straight from the corporate world. Right. And I think it's very telling that our beloved Phil Scott governor Mm. uh, just (laughs) announced last week that the new secretary of education of the state of Vermont does not need to have any education experience. Mm. And it's actually better coming from the corporate world and bringing those business practices into quote private sector skills he says. Mm. yeah and that's what we see in the white house too isn't it with betsy devos yeah who doesn't have any clue about what's happening in our public schools and she gets to make decisions for us teachers and our students mm-hmm. vicky do you want to say anything else about testing well, or comments on katie's interview yeah just well t- also what Katie said and what Nick said that these testing companies are for-profit private businesses that are making money off of testing our children mm. and this is directly tied to as Nick made the connection the the prison system the industrial prison system that is for-profit and it's private mm. so what who does testing serve mm. it, it's directly when we look at it this way it directly is serving the private industry mm. Okay, so I also just wanted to tell one quick story because I thought this was so interesting. I was working in my hometown in Waterbury, Connecticut, and at a middle school, and there were a lot of kids. One day, the, the principal called over the loudspeaker, the superintendent's coming to visit. So for me, I thought, oh, okay, great. He's going to see what, this, what condition this school is in. <laughs> the walls are falling apart. Like, kids don't have the books that they need. Kids don't have the computers they need. Kids are being taken out of class all the time. And so I started to figure out, um, and this isn't just a testament to Waterbury. This is a testament to, I think, all schools. Kids who were 
quote unquote behavior problems get moved out of the classrooms where the superintendent goes. And so the principal and other teachers choose which specific classrooms to bring him into because their jobs are on the line. So it's like, the, it's like a, it's connected, right? We have these kids that are having real issues in their lives with the world outside the classroom, but come into school, have those same problems. Teachers don't have the tools to deal with those problems. And then they are blamed mm -hmm. for the problems that kids are having. Mm -hmm. their, their jobs are tied up in that. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, it's, it's, we can do better. I know we can do better. <laughs> I know that we, I know that people are out there doing better and I think we'll talk about that a little bit later um, about what kind of organizing is happening across the US, state by state, teachers are getting active and starting to demand for better pay, better conditions, more textbooks, better textbooks. Um, but let's go to, do you wanna do our Boston uh, interview? Actually, Becca, I wanted to ask you a question. Because you're a teacher. I am. <laughs> and you've been teaching a lot longer. I mean, for a long time now, right? Yeah, and so this is my I fourth year. Your fourth year, okay. Mm -hmm. And so I wondered, as we ask Katie, what as as a teacher, what are you most concerned with in terms of public education? Well, I, I feel like I just have to start by first of all, um, talking about working in Springfield School District, I feel like uh, I'm very lucky that I have a superintendent that supports the work of teachers in the classroom mm -hmm. and who himself was a civics teacher and so really um, has been great around thinking about how do we support students in the walkouts, what kind of things can we do, like the conversations of how do we connect learning to the classroom and also um, administrators and superintendents are also under a lot of pressure for around these standardized testing and mm. so even if they personally disagree with it their jobs are on the line as well exactly. and I think that's mm -hmm. important but in terms of what concerns me the most in public education I mean it, before being a teacher I'm also a community member mm -hmm. right and so I care about my students in the same way that I care about my neighbors when a student comes into my classroom that's struggling, I feel like it's all of our duties to support and care for those students. Mm. And I don't feel like schools are set up in that way. Right. I don't feel like schools no one, um, it are thought of as having, um, this is like our learning environment for everyone and we all contribute to it and that our actions, whatever we do also takes away from that. So it's interesting, I was having a conversation uh, with uh, Steve, who's our custodial, one of our custodial staff and another teacher in the building uh, on Friday, talking about um, one teacher mentioned, you know, if kids act out, if they misbehave, they should clean the toilets. And I was taken back and Steve was also taken aback by the, the you know, that's mm. his job. It shouldn't be looked down upon. It's, mm. He really is like the foundation of the school, right? Yeah, like it's a punishment. Exactly. So I said... How about instead, all of our staff, custodial and teachers, all teach and we all help to clean and that the students are also part of that so that we really see um, ourselves as taking care of each other. Um, but that's, we're so far from that. <laughs> I'll keep working towards it. You know, but thinking about the things that our students are going through outside of school, it's it's devastating. The communities are deteriorating as 
public funding is getting cut and more money is being put into subsidizing corporations and the military. Let's not forget mm. that over 50% of our budget goes into the military and policing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has devastating effects on our students' lives. And again, schools are not set up to address that. Mm-hmm. And so more pressure is put onto teachers to uh, teach to the test and standardize our curriculums. And it's becoming more and more difficult to connect struggles outside the classroom to learning. Um, And I just think that I want my students to see education as a way to learn about and question what's happening in the world, not just preparing them for a job in the workforce. Mm. Because it's very clear, you know, you hear teachers in school, and let me just say, teachers are under tremendous stress at this moment. So if, if teachers were more supported, I think that they would be able to Uh, support our students better Mm. but the amount of tension and stress that happens especially this time of year when May 1st is when we start testing teachers are practicing tests and doing all these things um, and having to give speeches to the kids about why they should try on the test you know and instead of like seeing each other as human beings and trying to relate each other on that basic level of Mm. um, what do you need to be able to (coughs) be successful in school Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really important question, Becca, that you ask. I think there's also, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about this in your interview with the group from Boston, but there's also a real need for teachers to come together to organize around our students and to organize around our own um, needs. Yeah, so let's go to that interview right now. This is a group of educators, or uh, two educators that I interviewed, from Boston Educators for Social Justice Conference, and they're part of the TAG group, which is teacher activist group that also has been working um, hand-in-hand with strengthening the union in Boston, the teachers' union in Boston. Mm -hmm. So I'm here with Molly and Natalia at the Boston Social Justice Conference, and they're going to introduce themselves and talk a little bit about the teacher activism work that they're a part of. My name is Natalia Quadrasayas. I teach at uh, US History One at Snowden International High School. It's a Boston Public School. And I'm Molly McKay Bryce, and I'm a high school humanities teacher in Boston Public Schools at the Dearborn. Thank you so much for joining us on Indigo Radio. Um, so I've been really amazed hearing all the teacher activism here in Boston, and I'm wondering if you all could talk a little bit about the widespread of things before we go into some specifics of the work you're doing. Mm-hmm about uh, Tag Boston and just how it works. Yeah, I always describe it as a loose network of educators. It's not really like a group that you have a membership in, Um, but I think like through being part of this network, um, I've I've made a lot of friends, I've made a lot of connections, um, and gotten involved in a lot of different um, projects in I guess like the five or so years that I've been um, involved in Tag. Um, I always say um, the main two things that keep us together, that keep us a cohesive group, besides our listserv and Facebook group, which are always important, are we have a summer barbecue every summer um, that we do in the same place that has a lot of historical significance, the location. And we do this conference every year. We're at the Boston Area Education for Social Justice Conference right now. Um, I think this is, this is really the big one that brings, you know, every year 100, 200 people together um, to go to different workshops, hear from 
different panels and just build community. Good things always just come out of this conference, but you never know what it's going to be. That's the thing I like about TAG. I feel like it's a very organic, fluid, it's a loose group, but I think that's what it needs to be. Um, so you might not see like a regular monthly meeting, but, um, but it, it is a, it's a strong network. I think it's a lot of um, educators doing um, a lot of radical things in their communities. And a lot's been birthed out of it. Natalia mm. referenced this, but in the past at the um, at this conference, um, Beja, the Boston Educators for uh, Justice Alliance, mm -hmm. was born. Um, we've also had a lot of the co-founders that um, began the teacher activist group in Boston long before I was involved, who are talented organizers who are also doing a lot of um, organizing within other institutions. Um, so our union, for example, um, Natalia and I are both proud Boston <laughs> Teachers Union members, um, but particularly proud in this moment in time. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if you look at it from the stance of our leadership, one of the co-founders of um, this conference um, is our union president, Jessica Tang, who is yep. a, a queer woman of color and is unapologetically um, pursuing uh, social justice unionism, what's best for whole communities um, that schools are within um, and not just one set of adults. Um, and that really benefits us as teachers as well. Um, but it's not just through um, uh, particular positions of power. There's a lot of organizing going on that's been going on in the Boston Teachers Union um, for years and that people are um, gaining a lot of momentum for. So I'm um, grateful to be part of the Restorative Justice Organizing Committee through the union um, and the Immigrant Rights um, Organizing Committee that focuses on um, supporting and protecting undocumented people. Um, we're called the Unafraid Educators. Mm -hmm. um, and those are just two examples of how um, people are really organizing and working to have the Boston Teachers Union um, really use the strength of collective bargaining for um, holistic community well-being. Um, and, and, and that's not new. There have been unions, there have been social justice unionists throughout history who have pursued that um, in really effective ways, and we're just trying to learn from them and, mm -hmm. and build towards that here. And that's why we don't need monthly tag meetings, because everybody is already doing so many different things. Yeah. And so when you talk about social justice unionism, you kind of mentioned a couple different um, projects, I guess, within the union. But I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about what that means to you, mm -hmm. specifically around a teacher's union. Yep, there is a list of like five things or so that I don't have on me, but I can try to remember some of the basic points. But there are some really good like articles out there that explain the difference between a social justice union and what they call a bread and butter union, mm -hmm. which is... Um, traditionally, like how most unions have operated as a bread and butter union. So bread and butter is this idea of taking care of your members, and, um, and that is salary, you know, health care, and all those things are important. So in a social justice union, those things are, they remain important, but now it becomes a more holistic approach where you're also um, concerned with the welfare of the community as a whole, right? So a lot of that has to do with then um, being in solidarity with other movements as well, right? So Black Lives Matter should be our struggle as well. Um, the March for Our Lives should be our struggle as well. Um, in, you know, supporting undocumented students and families should be our struggle as well. Right? That's an example. Um, I guess that's the main, yeah, um, the main difference between the two. But I know there's other. Yeah, unions have. I am a 
a proud believer in collective bargaining and the ways in which it can contribute to the health of communities. Um, but unions have far too often been tools um, that furthered white supremacy. Mm -hmm. um, they've been tools that were used to consolidate and hoard power for um, often white men, but also white women like myself. And so I think it is particularly important for us to acknowledge that and to consciously, actively move away from it. Um, and so we can think about when bread and butter unions have not even actually protected all of the members um, or have blocked membership to communities of educators. Um, and so I think as a teacher's union, it is important to me on a professional level and um, on the level of somebody who is a community member and a Bostonian as well, that we are um, really holding ourselves and our district accountable to serving all students and their families and all of the educators and mm -hmm. adult staff that work with our schools. I have to say it's more than just, it's not even about being idealistic and just, or even doing the right thing or being about fairness and justice. It's not, it's also practical. It's also, right, when you take care of others, you're taking care of yourselves. Mm. Union membership has been declining for decades. Um, and I, I think that needs to be reversed if we want to have, you know, strong middle class in this country. And um, I think history shows that. Um, but um, that depends. I think to reverse that, we need to have social justice unions, right? For the sake, for the strength of our unions, we need them to be social justice unions. Um, because if we want to win a fair contract, we need the support of the community, right? We need... Um, the community to be on our side. We need the community to see the union as someone who's fighting for them and fighting for their children, fighting for uh, parents and families. Um, if we have uh, the community on our side, then we're going to win, right? If we're working together, then we're going to win. It's just practical. We have to be um, seeing things uh, in a more holistic way. Also, so thank you, Molly and Natalia from the Teacher Activist Group and the Boston Teachers Union. We're going to go now to a song. You're listening to Indigo Radio, by the way, <laughs> in case you just tuned in. <laughs> we're talking about teacher struggles today and the state of public education. Um, so we're going to go to Billy Bragg. There's power in the union.
just laws cannot defeat us. But who defend the workers who cannot organize? And the bosses send their lackeys out to cheat us. Money speaks for money, the devil for his own. Who comes to speak for the skin and the bone? What a comfort to the widow. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. And today we're talking about teacher struggles. And before we continue, I just want to let you all know about Diversity Day, which is happening on May 4th at 5 p.m. It's a family-friendly event and a community event downtown Brattleboro with performances, games, storytellers, and good news for all you kids out there. Kids Place will be open. Um, there's also going to be a stage set up on Elliott Street where we'll have some poetry, dancing, singers, some theater, and a lot more to celebrate diversity. If you are interested in being involved or performing, please contact Michaela Sims. You can email her, msims, S-I-M-M-S, at W-S-E-S-W. Sorry, sorry, that's WSESU dot org. Or call eight oh two four five one three four two nine. So I just wanted to say before we move on just quickly that we had another interview with uh teachers from Boston that we're gonna link to our website mm-hmm. where we wanted to um connect now to the larger struggle of teachers mm-hmm. in Oklahoma and Arizona and Kentucky and beyond. Mm. So I'm not sure if people have heard, but West Virginia, the whole state of teachers actually went on strike a couple of weeks ago. And so what they were bargaining for was a increase in salary, an increase in pay. And so what they did was they tied their, their increase in salary to all state workers. So that's something I think that's different than maybe what Vicki was talking about at the beginning of the show where there's competition. You know, we have to mm-hmm. take funding away from K-12 to fund early childhood. No. Teachers in West Virginia said, no, we're going to take a pay raise and you're going to give everybody else a pay raise with us. So that affected a lot of other teachers in other states who then got on social media and were talking about their own issues in schools and their own issues with pay. And one thing that really inspires me, and I know also inspired the teachers in Oklahoma that we'll talk about next, Mm. is that West Virginia teachers, there's this kind of idea that teachers go on strike only for themselves, Mm. um, and that's a message that's been put out by the corporate agenda in this country. Mm -hmm. Um, But really, the educators, the teachers worked the entire time that they were striking. They were coordinating childcare plans for the families. Mm -hmm. They were working to feed students. Mm -hmm. And they were working to... Some students were... Teachers were still educating their students. And Mm -hmm. I know that they also did that... They are doing that in Oklahoma as well. Yeah, and what's interesting also is that a lot of those teachers were still working because they have other jobs. <laughs> so a In lot addition, of yes. Right. So a lot of these teachers didn't have the money to raise their kids with the amount of pay they were being paid as teachers, so they had to get second jobs after school and some of them were saying they had jobs also on the weekends. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we need to pay our teachers a little better, don't we? Yeah, we do. And so that's why teachers in Oklahoma have walked out. Um, we were looking, uh, we were looking up 
what teachers are demanding in Oklahoma, what the conditions that they're teaching in. And we found this morning that 20% of school districts in Oklahoma have four-day school weeks because of budget restrictions. And so a lot of the teachers work on Fridays, Saturday, Sunday, because they haven't received a pay raise in a very long time. Uh, teachers haven't gotten a raise there since 2008. And class sizes are larger than the legally allowed maximum of 20 students per room. So teachers are doing more work than they're contracted to do and getting paid less and less as time goes on to do it. And Oklahoma has cut funding more than any other state in the country over the past nine years, mm -hmm. um, which is part of the, that four-day week. But also, there's a 70% turnover in the last five years in a one school that, where, that was being interviewed. That, <coughs> that means that seven out of 10 of the teachers are new mm. in the school. Mm. And that, that, that's a really big deal mm. for teachers trying to, um, the continuity of education yeah. and getting to have building relationships with students. Right. Um, Especially in when kids are young, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I had, when I was in Waterbury teaching, these kids hadn't had a school teacher with them for a full school year in three years. And those eighth graders, a lot of them were struggling with new people coming into the classroom because they were, they would always say to me, you're not staying, you're not going to stay. So yeah, kids have, kids ha really react to that stuff. Um, so among the demands in Oklahoma, teachers are asking for a $5,000 increase in pay for support professionals. So like paraprofessionals, uh, other counselors in the in the school and a $10,000 pay increase for teachers over three years, 200 million in operational costs. So they're not even asking money for themselves, they're asking money for their students and mm -hmm. for their classrooms. Mm -hmm. So they want 200, millions for thing, 200 million for things like textbooks, for rehiring teachers, putting world languages and advanced placement courses back in the curriculum. Um, so teachers are really also understanding that their pay raise isn't only about themselves, but also about how do we make our schools a better place? How do, if I don't have three jobs, then I can do extra schoolwork after school, mm -hmm. which will mean that maybe I'll be more prepared tomorrow for my lesson yeah. and that my kids will learn more. Yeah. I think it's really important to mention here that Oklahoma is a right to work state. Mm. And it sounds great, right? What the, does that mean? The Becca? right to work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sounds like, why wouldn't everyone want that? What does that, that mean? <laughs> um, but that means that um, you are, legislation is being put forth in the right to work states that entitles employees to benefit off of a union contract without having to pay union dues. And so if that employee who is not part of the union, if something happens to them, the union is still responsible and has an obligation to fight for that worker. And for me, I see unions as protecting everyone, but mm. this is like a divisive tactic, pitting people against one another and, and a way to dismantle the power of the union mm. because it's tilting the balance from unions and from working families in favor of corporations, making it harder to form unions and harder to collective bargain for better wages, benefits, and better working conditions. So you're saying essentially that I, as a teacher, 
in Vermont, if Vermont was a right-to-work state, mm -hmm. that I as a teacher wouldn't have to join the union, but that the union would still have to protect me, which means that I wouldn't pay union dues, but that the union would still have to pay for legal coverage if I had a case. Yeah, and that already exists federally. Okay. That already exists. The right-to-work goes one step further in saying um, that the union contract must benefit everyone. Mm. Um, and that um, I think right now, if teachers don't want to join the union, they pay like a slight fee mm -hmm. because they're still benefiting from the contract mm -hmm. that is negotiated in favor of all workers. Mm -hmm. um, but this, uh, the right to work is really taking it um, one step further to like destroy the fabric of the unions. Mm -hmm. And there's a 50, um, there's a higher poverty rate in right-to-work states um, as well as a larger pay gap between men and women in the right-to-work states. And I just wanted to share um, a quote since it was uh, the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King mm. Jr. And he said, in our glorious fight for civil rights, we must guard against being fooled by false slogans such as right to work. It is a law to rob us of our civil rights and job rights. Its purpose is to destroy labor unions and collective bargaining. Mm. So this has like been going on for a long time. This isn't something new, but we're seeing it new right that now. That was almost 60 years ago. Wow. Okay. And so it's interesting also to think about, um, to think about Vermont. So uh, doing some research, I found that Vermont's teachers are the 15, the 15th highest paid teachers average. They have, so our average teacher salary in Vermont for 2016-2017 was 15th highest in the nation at 60,000. Um, and what's also interesting is that the NEA uh, has put out statistics on state spending per student. And so in Vermont, we spend 18, around 18,000 per student. But what's even more interesting is that we spend $60,000 per prisoner in the state. So even in a state that spends a lot on, or not a lot, but spends m significantly more. higher than mm. other places in the country on our education, mm. it's still not even close to compare to what is spent on prisons. Mm. And so in Arizona right now, teachers are going on strike. And so they're per pupil spending, okay, their per student spending is 36% less than it was in 2008. So when the Great Recession hit, there were a number of states that had to decrease their per pupil spending because of uh, the way that things were restructured in terms of spending in the states. Arizona is one of those states where that took place and there has been no change in their per pupil spending since 2008. So we just wanted to wrap up today. We are really proud of the people that are out there fighting for students, fighting for themselves, all the teachers across the nation. And we want to thank Vicki for being in the studio with us. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and Katie, thanks for her interview and the teachers uh, with the teacher union in Boston. And before we close, I just wanted to announce um, an event that's happening with the Workers' Center, the Vermont Workers' Center, a community meal, meeting, and health fair. That will be Friday, April 13th at, from 5.15 to 8 p.m. at the Center Congregational Church. That's 193 Main Street. 
in Brattleboro, Vermont. We'll also link this to our website. Or we don't have a website. I mean, our Facebook page. <laughs> Who has websites anymore? <laughs> um, and this will be a chance to both talk about your concerns of the cuts of healthcare services, but also join for a free community meal and conversation, um, talking with others in the community about how the system is affecting us. Learn about what's happening with healthcare in Vermont and how we can advocate for ourselves and each other and organize to take action for healthcare justice. So it sounds like a great event and something that is definitely connected to our show today around mm. teachers' healthcare and the healthcare of all community members. Thanks for joining us today. This is Indigo Radio on Brattleboro Community Radio 107.7. Check us out on Facebook and we will see you next week. We're going to go out with Woody Guthrie. Which side are you on? Which side are you on?